Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 225 of Dogcast Radio. Our online home is dogcastradio.com where you can find all our episodes and a veritable canine cornucopia of content. Sorry, I'm excited because coming up in a minute we have cow pugs. Yes, you heard me right, cow pugs. Paisley, she's gone up to 28 miles in a single day without us carrying her at all when we've gone out to gather cattle out of the forest. After that, we'll be celebrating with Battersea. We have helped so many dogs that are, as the charity was initially intended, lost, starving dogs, making sure that we are here to help every animal and that we never turn away an animal in need. Then we'll be discussing some new research. 72% of pet parents have spent money on a birthday for their dog. (laughs) And there'll be the Dogcast Radio News. 62% of dogs show signs of anxiety when they hear fireworks. But let's get right on to those cow pugs. I saw a video of pugs rounding up cattle and I knew I had to speak to them. Well, to their humans anyway. So, within 24 hours of seeing those amazing pugs, I was asking Sarah Jean Waddell to tell me all about her cow pugs. Well, Paisley and Tuff, Paisley is three years old, and we got her when my husband and I lived in Montana, and I got her with the purpose of breeding her. And I picked her out because she's got a little bit longer nose than an average pug. She hasn't been overbred for a smashed face. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing when we picked out Tuff a year ago for her breeding partner. And so when we got Paisley and we got a job at a ranch in eastern Oregon in the U.S., I felt really bad leaving her inside all the time while we're out pushing cows and working, you know, 10 plus hours a day. And she's inside by herself all the time. So... I asked my husband, and I was like, you know, I think I'm going to start bringing Paisley out to help us push cows. And he's like, well, what if she gets in the way? What if she gets tired? And I'm like, you know, I'll be there to watch her. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, we'll leave her inside. But, you know, it's at least least worth a try. Mm -hmm. And so we took her out, and we noticed pretty quickly that she started kind of mimicking the border collies when they were pushing cattle. She was going and following them. If a cow was kind of breaking out away from the herd, she'd follow them to bring them back into the herd. Or if their one was dragging really hard in the back, she'd get up right behind it and push it forward up into the herd. And so I was like, that's really interesting. That's pretty hilarious that she's doing this. So I thought just for kind of kicks and giggles that, well, maybe, you know, I'll start teaching her the basic commands of, a cattle dog Hmm. and she started picking up on it right away and she actually got really really into it so we started taking her out on a regular basis and she actually works better than some of our cattle dogs (laughs) wow that's amazing because i mean particularly when you when you think your border collies are, are they have been bred and chosen selected to do the job they do haven't they basically we you know they're chosen for their working ability yes a pug not so i love pugs i have to say but they're not chosen for their working abilities usually are they no they're not and when i got into pugs and i wanted pugs i did a lot of reading 
up on them to see exactly because I'm always curious on dog breeds and what their purpose was originally. Mm-hmm. And pugs were bred by the Chinese to just sit on their laps when they were cold in the winter time. Yes. And that's what a pug was bred for. <laughs> so it is the complete opposite end of the spectrum of what these dogs were even bred for. Yeah. They weren't ever bred to chase cows or even come close to that. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I can imagine a pug would be wonderful at sitting on your lap and keeping you warm. I can imagine that. <laughs> and I do know some oh, pugs. Oh, yes, they are. Know, I, I, I do know pugs um, in this country who have become very active. The one I'm thinking of, Marsha, who is amazing. Um, and Susanna, uh, Marsha's mum, can't wait. She said to me before I did, she, oh, tell me what she says. I want to know about them. So she's really interested. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, we have some, as I said, I've met some really, really active pugs. But my goodness, you know, chasing around after cattle all day is a, is a different level from agility. So yes. how, how do Paisley and Tuff, well, Paisley, how she adapted to that? Does she, you know, does she enjoy it? She loves it. It it gets to the point where if we're going outside and she sees us wearing our working clothes and that we're going to go ride, she'll spin by the door and bark. And wow. Tuff, he's gotten into it within the past couple months. He's not as good as Paisley, but he's really starting to follow Paisley with when it comes to commands. So he's learning very quickly now because he's only a year old. And they're both just, they love it. And Paisley, she's gone up to 28 miles in a single day without us carrying her at wow. all uh, when we've gone out to gather cattle out of the forest. So, Wow, that's, that's incredible. So now, for, li- for people listening who may picture a pug as sort of quite a... Um, should we say rotund around sort of breed quite, you know, they, they have a reputation and it's not, I, right. obviously I don't think it's, it's fair to get any, any dog and think I'm not going to walk this dog. All dogs have the same or similar needs. They need that because they need mental stimulation yes. as well as physical. So, um, but I mean, that's not the pug's reputation, is it? As you say, they, they sit on laps, they sit on sofas, they stay in the warm. Yes. They're not very active, but I think it's very sad, actually, that they get that lifestyle. And I, I do think they should, you know, should should have um, the stimulation they need. But mm-hmm. so when we think of sort of a plump pug, tell me, tell me about your dogs, because I don't imagine they could be very plump with the exercise they do. They no, they're not. I mean, they gain some winter weight when we don't go out and gather cows when it's snowing and freezing cold and stuff like that. And we're just feeding but still, their winter weight isn't nearly as chunky as a normal pug, I would see. They're very lean. They got very strong, you know, very toned muscles. And they're, they look like a normal dog. Like if you were to look at a fit dog, that's what they look like. They're not round or chunky in any way. They're just more lean and fit looking. Yes. Yeah. And when you see a pug that, you know, tucks up. And has a waist, and, and as you say, looks like a dog. Yeah, it is surprising. It's sad. I mean, with and I'm, with the, that's the truth. With a lot of breeds, I used to have a Labrador, and I would meet Labradors who were barrels on legs. Yes, and and I'd be saying, oh gosh, how old are they? And they'd be saying, oh, they're only six. And I'd be thinking, crikey, well, Buddy's ten, you know. And to be honest, it's something I managed to keep my dog slim. I can't keep myself slim, but my dog was slim, <laughs> you know, because it, it does so much for them. And I mean. Yes. Saying that, so your your pugs, you didn't sort of buy from a from a you know a special 
uh, athletic uh, breed of pugs. You said about the noses. Now, I think that's important. We'll come back to that. But your pugs are, if you like, you know, they're ordinary in their breeding. They're, they're genetics. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they're very ordinary. There wasn't any special breeding that I looked for. I wasn't looking for registered pugs. Neither of my pugs are registered or AKC or anything like that. They're just, you know, I was looking for pugs. We had one growing up, and hmm. I told my husband when we got married that we were going to have pugs again, and <laughs> he was fine with it. And uh, But they're really, other than me keeping them exercised and stimulating them, mentally and keeping them engaged i don't think there's really anything special about them they're just you know an average pug that you know i found a breeder and i you know the only thing i really looked for when i looked for these two was like i said that they weren't overbred to have the smashed faces because i did not want to have a dog that you couldn't take for a walk down to the end of the driveway and back without them you know having a heart attack or not being able to breathe <laughs> yes yeah and i mean the the way we have bred, as a race, the way we've bred um, a lot of breeds is just unacceptable and we have to do something about that. And, and we've got yes. the beginnings of it, but, you know. Um, and, but that's the important thing, isn't it, that when... Because, let's face it, the flat, some of the flat-faced um, breeds, they are very attractive to us. You know, they've got that sort of um, yes. almost baby-like um, face, haven't they? But people do need to... If you're going to go and get a pug... Um, and other, other breeds apply here. But if you're going to go and get one, you do need to be responsible with where, you know, who you give your money to, don't you? I agree very much. I think there's a lot of, well, in America, we've actually come up uh, just recently, a lot of the AKC registries have started limiting people to breeding, you know, the French Bulldogs, mm -hmm. the, bull, the Bulldogs, American Bulldogs, and the Pugs because they are not living a very good quality of life because no. their faces are so smashed and their palates are so messed up that all these dogs need surgeries as soon as, you know, they're old enough to have surgery just so they can breathe on their own. And then they just don't live a very good quality life because people are overbreeding for, you know, physical attributes yes. when you should be looking out for the quality of the dog and not just a physical attribute yeah absolutely absolutely so back back to your pugs because they are they're so they're amazing to see and i will put a link on to people to where they can come to your page or site and, and see see your pugs in action because they are amazing mm -hmm. um what what's the this is, may sound a silly question but what's the cow's attitude to the pugs do they notice any difference some do and some don't. It really depends on the cows. Like the old, the mama cows that just have some recent babies, they're quite aggressive with the pugs, and they're aggressive with any dog really getting near their newborn calf. And it's actually quite funny to watch because the pugs move ridiculously quickly. So this mad mama cow will turn around and beller at them and the pugs will just kind of circle around and bark at her and just move super quick so she can't get to them and they just do everything in their power to turn this cow around and then there's other like the other day we moved some heifers that were only year you know a year old and they're very playful and they want to play with the pugs and the pugs just don't really know how to deal with that because they're used to being able to turn a cow around and these you know, yearling cows are trying to chase them and they're bucking and kicking and they get a little nervous with the yearlings because they're like, this one's not scared of me. What do I do? <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> but some cows 
cows act differently, but for the most part, you know, as a, you know, a group of cows, if you just have some, you know, adult cows that you're moving, they move off of the dogs very well because, you know, the cows have that prey instinct in them that they're a prey animal and that a canine animal is a predator animal. And so they naturally will move off of those pugs and, Tough has actually even bit the heels of a bull, you know, a full-grown bull before because it wasn't moving fast enough. And that bull respected Tuffy because he's like, oh, well, he's telling me to go faster. And he took off trotting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having said you've gone viral, the dogs have gone viral the last few days. And, and you know, the video's been shared here, there and everywhere. But, I mean, it isn't a novelty, is it? These, these your pugs, they work the cattle. They really do what they seem to do in, in the video, don't they? Yes, they do. They're, I mean, they're not like your top-notch cattle dogs, that's for sure. But I still think that it's, I mean, it's pretty impressive for a pug alone mm. to be able to go out and run around, let alone herd cattle and be able to listen to basic commands. For the most part, you know, pugs are known for being stubborn. So yes. sometimes they don't, they choose not to listen to a command, <laughs> even though they know what it means. But yeah. It's pretty, I think it's pretty impressive and I get a kick out of it every single time that I take them out. I'm just cracking up laughing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, saying that, what kind of motivation do you use with the pugs and have you had to, to sort of change anything that you would normally do with the Border Collies? Have you had to change that with training the pugs? Not necessarily. Um, with our dogs, we use a lot of positive reinforcement for when they do do right and the pugs i mean the pug breed is very loyal and they want to please so it was very easy to start teaching them commands and when they do the right thing just praise them and tell them that oh my gosh you did so good and pet them and love them all over and that's that right there is enough to get their attention and want them make them want to go out and do a better job and do the right thing yes yeah do you know you you are saying all the right things i'm so pleased because i mean we have um, a well we have a german spitz client who is um very similar to a pomeranian and she actually has some pomeranian in her uh, pedigree now poms mm-hmm. can be stubborn but We've yes. we've chosen to be as as positive as we can. We've we've always been positive with our dogs, but we've really stepped it up a notch because we've learnt more. And so, for example, you know, we'd have some treats in our pocket, and if we just happened to catch her doing something good, not that we told her, she we you know we just come across her, she's settled nicely, or she's playing with a, uh, her toy, or whatever it is that she's she's just sitting waiting, you know, she gets a treat, and she is the most willing dog. You just say, come on, and with all of us, there's four of us in the household, and she will. You know, go off with any of us into the garden to toilet or off upstairs or downstairs or wherever. She is so willing. And I think that positive training just it it pays you dividends a thousand times over. You get such a yes. willing dog, don't you? Yes, you do. They are much more willing if you have positive reinforcement versus negative feedback yes. when they do something wrong. In my well, I also train horses a lot. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing for them, too. So I've kind of taken my horse training experience and you know transferred it over to training the pugs because I'm not a dog trainer I'm not a cow dog trainer by any means I just thought it would be funny to take the pugs out and get you know get them the exercise that they need and the socialization that they need and the time with me that they really want instead of sitting at home 
and then they just picked up on it and so I've kind of been trying my best to train them as cow dogs but I'm not a cow dog trainer by any means but oh I think you are now I think you are now (laughs) (laughs) okay so another silly question so your border collies your your other herding dogs have have Mm -hmm. they noticed that they've got pugs amongst them have they shown any reaction are Yes, they notice that the dogs are different. Like, hmm. if we go out with other cowboys with their border collies, they're a little standoffish. They're kind of like, what is this? <laughs> they just got to look <laughs> at them funny, and the pugs are very playful when they work. They're not necessarily as serious as a border collie. And so the border collies sometimes will get a little bit, like, standoffish because the pugs are trying to play at the same time as <laughs> as well as work. And uh, But our our border collies that my husband and I have, they are obsessed with the pugs. It's really weird. Anytime you take them down there, they're just like all over them and wanting to kiss them and play with them and stuff like that. But other border collies that from other cowboys, when we take them out, are a little like, what are these? They're, <laughs> they're a little weirded out by, by how small and how smashed their faces are and that their tails don't, you know, yes. curl up on their back and that they're not straight. So, oh, And they're coming in taking their jobs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, lovely. So what do Paisley and Tuff do in their sort of off time when they're not out with you doing the cattle? What do they like to do in, in sort of the downtime? Well, sometimes I really don't like to leave them inside by themselves unless I have to because they're very social dogs and Mm -hmm. they don't like to be left alone. And that was part of the reason why I got tough for Paisley as well, so she would have a companion in the house. But in the off-season when we're not pushing cows and gathering cows all the time, I do train, like I said, I train horses, so the pugs will actually come down with me. And they are great desensitizers for young horses in training. You go out on a trail ride, these pugs pop out of bushes, and they walk (laughs) behind you, and they run underneath the legs of the horse. (laughs) It makes it a little rough on me at times, but in the end result, I mean, these horses end up having a really great mind and really don't get spooked of anything after being around the pugs, because I'll even, for my sale videos for horses, if I'm selling a horse... I'll tell them they're pug tested and approved because <laughs> I'll lean down and tap on my knee and I'll ask the Paisley to jump and she'll jump up onto the saddle and I'll have to grab, you know, the scruff of her hair and kind of help her up because she can't make it all the way to the back of the horse. But once a horse can do that and stand quietly with a pug jumping up onto the side of them, of course, they're not so graceful either when they do it. So sometimes <laughs> it's like getting hit in the side with a rock. <laughs> <laughs> But they are great desensitizers for my horses, and I take them down every single time I go and work with my horses. You know, that way they it teaches my horses to think before they react and teaches them a lot on how to rely on me before, you know, you freak out over something. If a bird pops out of a bush or, you know, a coyote comes along or something like that, the horse might spook at. You know, if they don't spook at the pugs anymore, it's very rare that they're going to spook at anything else. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Your dogs have such a wonderful life. They, it sounds, you know, the, the ideal life for a dog. Now, if if other pug owners are listening to this and and they have a pug beside them who perhaps doesn't get the opportunities to be as active, who might not be as, you know, in as good a shape as your pugs, mm-hmm. what would you say to them? 
Um, I always suggest to people, you know, like uh, my mom, she actually has one of Paisley and Tuff's puppies. And she's one that she tends to let her dogs get a little chubby. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell my mom, you know, well, it's, you know, maybe you need to get out and take them for some walks and stuff like that. Because a lot of people, when they get a pug, they understand, okay, well, it's not a very active animal, which is not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've seen in the video, pugs can actually be very active if given the opportunity. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I think it's great to give your pugs that opportunity and don't be held back if you want to start exercising yourself and you're like, oh, well, I can't take my dog along. You know, that's not that's not true at all. Pugs can be very active dogs. Like you said, your friend does agility with mm-hmm. a pug. Yeah. And pugs love exercise. They're a very versatile dog. I mean, Paisley and Tough, if I wake up one morning, I'm like, all right, we're going to go gather cows and we got, you know, 15 miles to go today. They're willing to go do it. But if I wake up and I got the flu and I just want to lay on the couch and watch TV all day and be sick, then they are perfectly fine with doing that too. Pugs just want to be around their owners and they want to please their owners. So if you're going out and going running or if you are able to give your pug exercise, go ahead and take them along. Don't let, you know, that pug reputation of, oh, well, they're not a very versatile dog. They're just meant to be couch potatoes. Don't let that hold you back on exercising your pug because they truly do enjoy it very much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it makes me so sorry for the pugs and all dogs that don't get the chance to be as active as they they want to and they all have a mind and a body that needs that that outlet so you know right. i always think it's it's helpful to say well hang on you know there there isn't a dog that there's not a breed that i could say to you well they don't need exercise or they they're quite happy to sit at home all day that's you know if you want that get a cuddly toy get a stuffed toy you know it's it's not what uh, what a real dog right. wants you know Dogs just, I mean, they're meant, they're animals, just like people, you know, you got to get out and get your healthy exercise and get moving. And it's the same thing with with dogs. I mean, exercise for dogs is mental stimulation as well. So it keeps your dog mentally healthy. It keeps your dog physically healthy. If you get them out and get them exercise and they're going to be much happier. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree, Sarah. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say about Paisley and Tough? Because they're, they're wonderful. Oh, they're, I've, I've always think Paisley and Tough have been little superstars, personally, but I'm a little biased. <laughs> um, if there's anyone out there that wants to follow their progress or anything, I have a Facebook page for Paisley and also an Instagram. It's called Paisley the Super Pug. And their videos are posted on there and stuff like that. So if anyone wants to follow those and keep an eye on these cow pugs and see their progress, they're more than welcome to follow. Yeah, I definitely will. I, I, I'm so glad that I saw that video and, and sort of thought, I'll be a bit cheeky and ask. <laughs> and you said yes. It's, yeah. it's been such fun. And thank you ever so much. And, and the best. Give them a fuss, will you, from me? I will. I like pugs. But I love these healthy, active pugs flying the flag for their breed and hopefully helping to pave the way for a healthier future. So Paisley, Tough and Marsha here in the UK, you are all wonderful. Thanks to Sarah for taking time out of her busy farm life to tell me about her lovely dogs. We have the links to Paisley the Cowpug's Facebook and Instagram pages. And if you have a dog who is defying the apparent limitations of their breed, we'd love to hear from you. (laughs) 
Did you know there are over 300 words for love in canine? Gabriel Sevin. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Now it's time to celebrate because it's Battersea Dogs and Cats Home's 160th anniversary. Rebecca McKeever told me more about it. We have been open now and helping dogs and cats for 160 years. Yes. Yeah. 1860s when we opened our doors. Wow, that's incredible. And, and, and then it was known as, I'm looking at my notes, I didn't know this offhand, but it was known as the temporary home for lost and starving dogs. Bless. That's right, yes. And it was, it was founded by Mary Tilby. Mm. And, and we, so we are now, our London centre is located in Battersea, which is, is where we tend to be most well known. And we have been here since 1871. Wow. But Mary Tilby began taking in dogs to our own home initially, is what we believe. There's very little known about her. We don't have a photo of her, so we don't even know what she looked like. And sadly, she passed away only five years after starting the charity. Oh, gosh. But yeah, so, I mean, it would be wonderful to be able to go back in time and tell her that we would help over 3.1 million animals in yes. 160 years but yeah she she started it all off yeah well bless her i do you know i often say to people don't think one person can't change things they can absolutely you, if it's your passion go for it exactly yeah oh she would be so proud and pleased wouldn't she and amazed i'd like to think so yes yeah oh that's wonderful now so then you you said you you've you've moved early on you moved and yes. you were doing you were helping dogs and cats very early on and you've had some some famous dogs at battersea haven't you you kenneled the dogs for shackledon expedition we did. Yes, we did. I mean, we've had, we've had, you know, through 160 years of such a long history and we have helped so many dogs that are, you know, as the charity was initially intended, lost, starving dogs, making sure that we are here to help every animal and that we never turn away an animal in need. But as part of that, we, we've also then come across some very famous individuals and having having you know the kenneling of Shackleton's dogs as part of our history is something that's just so so fascinating and we're so proud of yes yes and I mean with Remembrance Day next month you've also had an Airedale a famous Airedale called Jack who became the most talked about service dog during the war so I mean you're entwined with with Britain's history aren't you Absolutely. Absolutely. We are. And our, you know, our patrons, Queen Victoria was a patron of ours. And now we have um, celebrity ambassadors who, who have joined our cause and who speak out for us. So we have Paul O'Grady, David Gandhi, Amanda Holden, Dame Jacqueline Wilson, Anthony Head, Sarah Fisher and Tom Hardy. They are all celebrity ambassadors of ours. And yes. starting off with Queen Victoria and Charles Dickens was... First celebrity celebrity ambassador. Yeah, quite a um. Yeah, it's quite something to have in our history. Yes, that's amazing. He he wrote an article, didn't he? I, I mean, I'm I'm finding this out <laughs> in, in preparation for interviewing you. But he wrote an article about was it two dogs? Um, yes, he published an article. The two oh two dog shows, which helped secure the public's attention for uh, affection for the charity. Yes. again, really intertwined with with British history. Absolutely. And, you know, I think I think Battersea's message 
um, what we stand for and what we've always stood for right back in right back even before she'd started the charity when Mary Tilby started just taking in abandoned and starving dogs to care for them the message for, for the charity that continues today is that we will never turn away a dog or cat in need of our help, that we, we will be a second chance for those animals, that we will do what we need to care for them, we will find them new homes. I think that message rings true with so many people. And I think if you're an animal lover, anybody who's had dogs, been touched by dogs, and you know, obviously Charles Dickens was one of those people who he was, he was touched by the cause and what Battersea were trying to do, and he decided he wanted to support us. Yes, lovely, lovely. No, I mean, some of your dogs have had adventures and hit the headlines, haven't they? So tell me about Red, the lurcher, who was a bit of an escapologist, wasn't he? He was, yes. So we have, um, so the, the, the kennels that we have um, are part of our routine is at the end of the day, we make sure all the dogs are cosy. They've got their beds all sorted. They're all ready for the nighttime. And our staff leave and come back in the morning to wake them up, take them for their walks, give them their breakfast. Um, but Red got up to some uh, antics overnight. Yeah. I came in in the morning and found him out of his kennel, wandering around the hall. <laughs> and um, we couldn't figure out how he was doing it. So we set up a camera um, and found that actually he was such a clever boy. He'd figured out how to hook his paw around and open up the latch of his door. Wow. We ended up having to take some stricter measures for him <laughs> to make sure he didn't go on any nighttime adventures without us. <laughs> Yes. And I mean, that rings so true because we had a border collie that could just, we had to all had door handles, had to become door knobs because he couldn't work yes. the door knob. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. This is it. If, you know, if they're smart and they like a puzzle and you know, a locked door is just one nice big puzzle for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And tell me about Nancy, the chihuahua who had unusual skills. Yes, Nancy. Nancy was a chihuahua who was a Battersea dog that was rehomed actually by our head of behaviour. Um, and, you know, for most for most dogs who would have working tendencies or or the training to do to do working, you would think of a border collie or something like that. But Nancy had a real affinity for for sheep herding. And um, there is a there is a YouTube video. If you if you look it up, Nancy, the chihuahua herds sheep where she's gone off and <laughs> and she's you know, with Ali and decided that she's going to take on this challenge it was a real character and it just goes to show you know we rescue is our favorite breed is one of the campaigns we recently launched to try and to try and bring the British public around to how we feel which is that rescue dogs are our favorite dogs and it just goes to show that every dog is their own individual with their own personality and quirks and and even a dog that you wouldn't expect like a chihuahua may go on to do something like herd sheep (laughs) yes absolutely but I mean that's an important message to get across isn't it because we get so um obsessed with I like you know a Labrador or it's got to be a Yorkshire Terrier or whatever it is but really if we want to live in harmony with a dog we should be looking at what's that dog's you know that individual dog what are their characteristics shouldn't we we should listen to you guys and that's one of the things that we are so passionate about at Battersea is treating every animal as an individual every animal has their own has their own history and experiences that may shape their personality they have their own um, individual quirks and characteristics they have their own training needs and so every single animal when it comes to us we assign it an individual care plan so during its time with us we we fit the needs around what that individual animal 
needs to have to make sure that we can then get it ready to go into a new home. And with customers we who are looking to rehome and rescue a dog, we really focus on this type of dog that they would like, the sort of lifestyle that they live. What do they envisage when they think of, of a dog? Do they, do they think about going out for four mile hikes every single day? Or do they think about going for a quick, a quick run around the block and then cuddling up on the sofa? And then we match them up with the personality of the dogs that are in our care. And sometimes it might be somebody might come in thinking that they want one particular breed and they leave with something completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're and I'm guilty of this. We're all dreadful for we fall in love with the look of a dog. Yes. I, you know, I I really like athletic looking. It doesn't match me at all, but athletic looking, short haired breeds. I love like English pointers, the pointers. I love But I, you know, I, I'm not going to go out and jog. I'm not going to give them the exercise they need. So again, don't, it's not the look of the dog. Think about what, what it's going to be like to live with it. Can you make them happy? Can they make you happy? That's the key, isn't it? Exactly. And that you're so right. That is the key. And what we find is, is so many people who will, um, will buy an animal online. And obviously, when, when we have customers come to us, we have in-depth conversations with them. We find out everything about their lifestyles, everything about what they're looking for. And we make sure that we know our dogs and everything that they need from a home inside out as well. And sometimes people will buy online and, and they will see a picture of a beautiful dog. And of, of course, you know, of course they want to buy it and they purchase it, but they don't know anything about that dog's personality, about its breed traits, about what its needs are. And it's only after they get it home that maybe that dog has some behavior problems they didn't know about. Maybe that particular breed is just way too high energy for them. And so a lot of the dogs that are brought to us, they're brought to us for a variety of reasons but people make the responsible decision to gift their dog to us. And sometimes it is because they have purchased them elsewhere and actually they just weren't the right dog for them. Yeah, yeah. In last year, in 2019, um, you had, was it 6,000? I'm just trying to find the statistic. So you had 6,000 inquiries from people wanting you to take their dog in, didn't you? Yes, we did. And it's, and a, a lot, a high proportion of those were um, people who had, purchased a a puppy online and found out that 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 particular puppy wasn't right for them or um or the the puppy had grown into an adolescent dog and then at that point the it's more personality traits and challenges were coming through Um, and so we we are here to make sure that we can support the dogs but also the customers and that's customers who who want to rescue from us and they want to come and bring a rescue dog into their home. But also those customers who through whatever reason have found that they can no longer keep their dog. And that's such a difficult decision for somebody to come to and yes. for a variety of reasons. Um, obviously I've talked about somebody purchasing a dog that it turns out isn't quite right for them, but some people, they may lose their job. They may have health concerns. Something changes in their life. They would never have thought they'd have to give their animal away but they feel they can't care for them in the way they need to. And they make the right decision, the responsible decision for that dog to bring it to us. That's something that we feel very passionately about, that we're here to support those individuals as well and make sure that we can make what is an incredibly difficult time for them as easy as possible for them. And we can then find the, the right care that their dog needs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Battersea is amazing. And you've had some characters through your hands tell me about barney and and what he got up to (laughs) Uh, yes so barney came to us and he 
he wasn't feeling particularly well. His owners had said that he, you know, he did like to he did like to take things and and hide them and, uh, and run around the house with them, maybe socks or different items. And in the end, our team decided to do an X-ray because they were a bit concerned. And it turned out that he'd eaten some pants. And he just had a stomach full of pants that was obviously causing him a lot of discomfort. So our veterinary team got those out for him and made him feel a lot better. But we, you know, we have, we are so fortunate here that we have a veterinary hospital and a dedicated veterinary staff. So every dog and cat that comes into our care is given a full medical check over and any medical procedures they need. So every animal that's rehomed is neutered, is vaccinated, is up to date with flea and worm treatments. And that's the basics that we do for everybody. But some animals come to us with, with chronic medical problems that we can, that have never been treated, skin issues that we can get on top of to make them comfortable before we rehome them. Um, but also then animals who come in with more weird and wonderful conditions, uh, like Barney, who had, yeah, a penchant for pants and... <laughs> and uh, got himself into a little bit of trouble there yes <laughs> a partial for pants he liked to nibble knickers <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> and and we've become familiar with with Battersea's work through for the love of dogs with Paul O'Grady yes. he has been such a brilliant ambassador for you hasn't he he has he has the the Paul O'Grady for the love of dogs I, d- I don't think anybody expected there to be the response that there was to it um, but yeah, it started in 2012. Paul's been coming and filming the series with us every year since then, um, and Christmas specials as well. He's one of our ambassadors. Um, obviously, we won a well, we Paul won a BAFTA <laughs> for the love of dogs in 2013, and it's it's just been so wonderful for the home um, for us to showcase the work. Not just that Battersea does. Obviously, the, the, the programme is about Battersea and about the work that we do, but that rescue organisations do. And, you know, with us trying to help people to see that, that rescue dogs, rescue dogs need a home and rescue dogs are just like any other dog. And unfortunately, yes. there's, there's, still, there's still a real stigma that a rescue dog is less than a privately purchased dog for whatever reason. And it's not the case. Um, you know, rescue dogs, they are our favourite breed. They're wonderful dogs. And the Paul O'Grady for the Love of Dogs show has just been able to showcase that and to really demonstrate the work that goes into caring for these animals, getting them ready for a home. And the love that Paul has for each and every dog that he meets is just, it's just, it's so nice to work with him because he genuinely loves them all. And that's really lovely to work with someone who feels as passionate about the work that we're doing as we do. Yes, yeah. I love the way you have to frisk him as he goes out to stop him <laughs> taking the. Oh, you do. <laughs> yes. No, he will. He'll take them all home with him. <laughs> Bless him. And I mean, you are supported. You have your your celebrity and your royal patrons, but you are supported by an army of volunteers, aren't you? As well. We are. Yes, we have over fifteen hundred volunteers across our three sites because it's not just our London centre. We also have centres in Old Windsor um, and in Brands Hatch as well. And um, the volunteers here are, are wonderful. They come in even Christmas Day. We have volunteers here. Make yes. sure all the dogs get a Christmas dinner and a present to open. And um, yes, we, we couldn't do what we do without them. They're, they're so important to Battersea and, and what we do. 
Yes. Yeah. Now saying that, how big a job you have, how big an operation it is. Tell me some of the, some of the statistics about, you know, the food, the dog, the dogs and cats eat and, and the, the shopping list you must go out armed with. Absolutely. Well, we, we go through about 123 tins of dog food and 333 pouches of cat food every wow. single day, every single day. And, you know, our, we, and then you've got poo bags, we're talking about almost 200,000 poo bags that we use a day and over 100,000 litres of cat litter. Sorry, not a day, a year. <laughs> so that's going. Poo bags a year. That would be astronomical. Um, and over 100,000 litres of, of cat litter a year. So just the, the scale of the operation. I mean, we help, we help over 5,000 animals a year across our three centres. And everything that we do, we don't receive any government funding. So everything we do is made possible for us by public donations yeah yeah absolutely and it's such a worthwhile cause where can people go and find out more about you online and how can they support you online if they you know if they're not near you geographically so people can go to our website and find out more about what we do learn about our rehoming processes and learn about other ways that they can support us and they are able to donate through the website as well and really i mean for for any charity at the moment with the pandemic and the unprecedented situation that we have all found ourselves in public donations have never been more important i mean you know we've for for the the covid lockdown we had to close our doors to the public for the first time ever in our history and it's obviously been a huge change to the way we work and yeah the public support has never been more important than it is now yeah yeah so a nice birthday present for you for Battersea would be some more support some you know, absolutely see what you can do I mean, no matter how little it is every every little helps um, and it all goes towards helping our dogs and cats, buying all of those poo bags, um, you know, helping us, helping us to feed them, care for them, walk them, make sure that they have the training that they need. Yeah. I, you know, it never takes me long to get around to talking poo. It never does. <laughs> it's very important. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's a major topic where you have a dog, isn't it? Well, it's been wonderful talking to you and, and sharing everything that you do. And, and it just remains for me to say happy birthday. Thank you very much. Happy birthday indeed, and it all started with one woman taking in dogs to her own home. Incredible. We have the link to Battersea.org on the Dogcast Radio site. What a great charity they are, and here's to the next 160 years for Battersea. You can usually tell that a man is good if he has a dog who loves him. W. Bruce Cameron And now it's time for the Dogcast Radio News. Mum, would you rather give up chocolate for a month or coffee for a month? Hmm, I can't do without caffeine, so I'd have to give up chocolate. Jenny, would you rather give up hot chocolate or television for a month? That's easy, television. I can always find entertainment online. But saying that, would you rather give up your phone or your dog for a month? Well, it wouldn't be easy, but I'd have to do without my phone. Me too, but according to a survey by Simple Texting, 40% of Americans would rather give up their dog for a month than their phone. That is just amazing, isn't it? I would have guessed it would be near about 10%. Wow! I know, quite shocking, I thought. But dogs win out over partners because 44% of those asked would rather give up their partner for a month. Other things people would give up rather than their dog include alcohol, Netflix, Target and coffee. So what would you give up if it meant keeping your dog? 
Let us know. Let's all play. Would you rather? Okay, here's one right now. Would your dog rather look at your face or the back of your head? Oh, ha ha! My face, of course. Well, take your sarcastic laugh back, because new research by the Etworth Lorand University, Hungary, shows that to a dog, the back of your head is exactly the same as your face. Researchers used an MRI to scan the brains of twenty dogs while showing them photos of the front or back of either a human or a dog's head. The scans showed that the dogs didn't have a specific region that responds specifically to faces, but they did have regions which reacted differently to human or dog heads, with a stronger reaction for dog heads. The study also looked at human brains, where regions of the brain showed different activity to back of heads and faces, with a stronger reaction occurring to faces, in particular human faces, showing dogs were more focused on species and humans on faces. So dogs see things differently from us, and they certainly smell things differently from us. Thank goodness. The University of Helsinki's veterinary faculty in Finland has suggested that dogs can sniff out COVID-19 with almost 100% accuracy. And now, a smell detection agency called Wisenose has ten fully trained dogs who will work in teams of four at a time in Helsinki Airport to help ensure the safety of travellers. Finavia, who operates the airport, believe the scale of their operation is a world first. To protect passengers' identities and dogs' and handler safety, a swab from passengers' skin is put into a cup, which is sniffed by the dogs in a separate booth. Those the dog indicates to receive a second conventional test to verify the result. One of the detection dogs learned to identify the scent of COVID in just seven minutes. Wow! Let's hope they help, because we humans could use help right now. Staying with airports, we move on to an Australian family who have spent two and a half years in the UK with their pets. The Fotheringhams are now going home, and their dog and cat arrived safely back in Australia. A happy event, you'd think, but not when the human family members are still stuck in the UK awaiting a flight. Frankie, a miniature dachshund, and Stella, a ragdoll cat, are now being cared for by relatives. But can you imagine how it feels to be stuck so far away from your animals? And as the family asked. How come they were bumped from their flight and their pets weren't? With up to twenty-six thousand Australians stranded overseas, how many other pets will have issues with their flights? If COVID has scuppered your travel plans, meaning your dog is having trouble travelling, we'd be very interested in hearing about it. In the UK, Bonfire Night, the fifth of November, is looming, which means firework fears for too many dogs and other pets. So, animal charity, the RSPCA, has issued some tips on preparing dogs. Pointing out that sixty-two percent of dogs show signs of anxiety when they hear fireworks. RSPCA animal welfare expert Dr. Mark Kennedy said, "Firework phobia is treatable, and we recommend seeking advice from your vet or from a clinical animal behaviourist if your pet finds bonfire night frightening. While it may take months or even years for treatment plans to take effect for some pets with more severe phobias, for others there are simple steps you can take at home in the weeks leading up to bonfire night to help them." Planning ahead can help them find firework season less scary, so why not start putting in some groundwork now? Provide your dog with a safe haven. Create a doggy den in a quiet area of the house and make it a safe place by putting tasty treats and favorite toys inside. You can also use pheromone diffusers to help your dog or cat feel more secure. Find out the dates of any displays and ask your neighbors if they are planning to have fireworks. Simple steps like closing windows and curtains can help your house seem safer to your pet. So begin doing this now if it's different to normal to get your pet used to it. You can find the full advice on the Dogcast Radio website, 
and it's horrifying that over the last four years, the RSPCA has received 1,543 calls about fireworks, and it fears that this year could be worse if people go ahead with more, smaller displays in their gardens. You can find out more about the RSPCA's hashtag bangoutoforder campaign at their website. We finish with Timothy, a cocker spaniel from Kent, UK, who has been named Britain's most destructive pet. The competition was run by SCS, which sells upholstered furniture and floorings, and Timothy's winning accident was knocking a pot of blue paint all over his owner's cream stair carpet. SCS will now give Timothy's owner, Zara Angelova, a brand new sofa worth £399. Let's just hope no paint gets anywhere near it. That's all we have time for. See you next time on the Dogcast Radio News. Bye! You know, a dog can snap you out of any kind of bad mood that you're in faster than you can think of. Jill Abramson We all have our own opinions on pet insurance, and a new company recently launched in the USA aims to revolutionise and simplify the whole process. To find out more, I talked to Nicole Yager from Pumpkin Pet Insurance, who have commissioned some interesting research. We did. So we're all dog lovers and cat lovers here. Excellent. And dogs have really become part of the family, I think, for everybody everywhere. And it's to the point that some owners even report that they prefer their dog over their own kids. So at Pumpkin, we were curious to further explore that and start to understand, you know, how far are pet owners really willing to go towards spoiling their dogs? So what we did was we surveyed a thousand U.S. dog owners and we found some really interesting things. So the first thing is that 72% of pet parents have spent money on a birthday for their dog. <laughs> uh, I, I have to admit, I'm one of them. <laughs> I am too. I yes. totally am. People think I'm crazy, but I think it's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, they are, they're one of the family and it feels wrong not to acknowledge their birthday, doesn't it? Right. And every year that we get with them is another year of just wonder and love and all of those good things. Yes. So yes, why yeah. not celebrate it? <laughs> Another thing that popped up was that one in five pet parents use a fancy puppy stroller to walk their dog. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm sort of, you're torn, I'm torn on this one, the, the, the strollers, because I have been guilty in the past of looking at them and thinking, why is that dog in a stroller, in a pushchair? Why not let the dog walk? There's different reasons. And I have to say, when our star, uh, Bichon Fries, ruptured her cruciate ligament, she was only three and we'd had the stroller already because we didn't think she would keep up with the Labrador. She did. It was <laughs> worth its weight in gold because it's a long recovery time from a cruciate ligament um, TPLO surgery. Yes. But we had quite a lot of negativity from the general public towards the stroller. It was amazing. It's really funny. I Did they just think it was more of a frivolous type of thing or, or did they yes. ask yeah, no. Well, one guy, I remember one guy came over and sort of said, why is she in the stroll? And we had a little chat about why she was in the stroll. And that was that was fine. But as time went on, I got more and more defensive. And as if people sort of gave me a funny look, I'd be sort of turning around very un-British going, um, have you got a problem? You come and tell me what your problem is. You know. And and so now if, if a dog is in a stroller and I'll, I'll go over and say, oh, you know, tell me about the dog. What, why is he, wait till he or she in the stroller? Because, you know, often there's a jolly good reason why yeah. isn't there. There is. And I mean, my head always goes to those videos that you see online with the pet owners, with the elderly dogs who can't walk well anymore, but they yes. still want to get their dog out in the fresh air and let them feel like they're walking and take them places. And 
I think it's a really wonderful thing. It can be, can't it? Yes. Do you know, I I think, as with a lot of things, if you're doing it for the dog, it's wonderful. So, for example, if the dog needs a coat, if we had a uh, border collie who was so miserable when he got cold and wet, we got him a coat. It wasn't a silly, frivolous, oh, let's dress the dog up coat. Right. Um, and and if anybody wants to have a chat about that, do get in touch. But I, I don't like frivolous <laughs> dressing of dogs. But he needed it. So we, we got him a coat and he was a lot happier. But it's that kind of thing. If you're doing it to meet the dog's needs, it's great, isn't it? It is. And even in our survey, we found that 51% of pet parents buy designer clothes or collars and leashes for their pets. Well, and leashes and collars, great. But clothes, oh, not so, not so happy. But you know, I have, I have a hound dog kind of like your border collie where he is always cold. The more blankets you can wrap around him, the happier he is. So we, we dress him in sweaters in the wintertime or little, little fleecy coats and vests that we can put on yeah. him too. But he's just a happy camper when he's dressed up. And yes. if you have, you know, bandanas and things, he'll actually ask for those. He'll come oh, over, hold up a bandana and just want it right around his neck. <laughs> oh, bless him. Again, no problem with that. If the dog's happy, great. But I just see this is, again, going back to where your insurance would need to come in. Come in. Yep. I have heard of dogs having like a onesie on. And yep. actually, one dog fell down the stairs because of their onesie. And you just think, oh, oh. you know, this is why. You know, as as long as the dog's happy with it and it's safe, okay. But I just I just think let's let's be you've got to put the dog's welfare first and that's that's where I draw the line. Yeah, you I, I think you do have to put the dog's welfare first. And that kind of ties into the next point in our survey, yeah. which maybe isn't so surprising because we all want to do the best for our pets, is that a lot of our participants found that vet bills are actually their number one expense. Wow. Yeah, I can I can identify with that because when our <laughs> Michel, um ruptured a cruciate ligament i think that was and i don't know in dollars but it was it sort of was two thousand pounds i will work out the the equivalent in, in dollars this was when she was three so oh gosh we're looking a good 10 years ago then but then my as my labrador got older he had um mast cell tumors and i think we got all our premiums back everything we'd paid we got back when he was pulling and it's the kind of thing you never want that to happen you 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 hope you pay and you don't need it, but you know. When it happens, I mean, my goodness, I, I found myself that same thing that you wind up getting all of your premiums back, yes. and it, it, it winds up being such a valuable thing to have that insurance down the line. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you're one of the people who you you, know, you think, well, I've paid all these premiums and the dog's never been in, well, brilliant. <laughs> you know, if the dog's been well all that time, brilliant. Just be thankful for that. Right. And you're, you're so lucky as a pet owner, if that's the case. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But you never want to be in that position where you have news from the vet and you're just thinking, how am I going to pay for this? It's just a horrible situation to be in, isn't it? It really is. And, you know, having been on that side of the exam table myself, along with, you know, and our survey respondents said the same thing about 30% of our survey respondents lacked pet insurance and, or I'm sorry, 68% of our survey respondents lacked pet yes, insurance. 30% yeah. of those said that vet bills are the biggest expense. So when you're sitting on that side of the exam table and you have insurance, it's it's this sort of peace of yeah. mind that you get. Yeah. And without it, because I've also been without it in the past, and you hear what they're saying about, okay, this visit today is going to cost this, ongoing treatment is going to cost that. And it's a whole different feeling. And it can be yes. really, I think, overwhelming for pet owners at times. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And it's you, because you're sort of, 
your pet's parent and I, again i don't mean in a fluffy silly way but you are you 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 educate them and you look after their health and their their diet and everything but you 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 really want to be in a position where you can meet their needs don't you you really do and and it's it's such a thing to be able to say to tell your vet when your vet is making the recommendations that you know are best medicine to actually be able to say yes let's do that let's go ahead and move forward with whatever you're recommending and you know that you're giving your pet the best care that you can possibly provide and also know that you're not necessarily going to drain your entire bank account in the process yes yeah, definitely, definitely. So we, we've said about sort of the, the vet's bills. But one thing that interested me as well was a lot of people, well, one in, one in four parents, have considered taking their pup to a pet psychic. Was that just to find out what the pet's thinking? Yes, isn't that funny? It's just these fun... I. I... For me, I feel like it kind of ties back to the idea that the dogs are part of our family. They're part of our everyday yes. life. Why wouldn't we want to know what they're thinking? Because they can't tell us most of the time. And and it's kind of a curious, fun thing that folks would do. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, you, a lot of these items you can look at and sort of think, mm, that's silly. But a lot of them, you can if you can take them a different way and you can think, well, actually, yeah, that's a, that seems a frivolous thing. But if you're trying to think, how is the dog thinking? How is the dog seeing the world? You're on right. the way to understanding them, aren't you? You really are. If if you can hopefully get some understanding of what your dog's thinking. My goodness, like imagine the better communication and better life that you can provide. And, you know, it's so funny in our survey too, we had those pet owners who, you know, they were paying for, you know, all of the collars and all of those things, but then they also invested in things like acupuncture or massage therapy as part of you know, managing their dog's health. And what's really funny is that even though so many folks don't have that pet insurance, companies like Pumpkin will actually cover alternative therapies like that acupuncture and like that therapeutic massage. So it's an added advantage for those pet owners who love doing those really great things for their pets. Yes, absolutely. And there's never been more treatment on offer for our dogs, has there? No, there's, you can do just about anything. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Anything you can, well, virtually anything you can do for a human, you can you can do for a dog. I mean, yeah. and that's an important um, point actually, because not all dog insurance is is equal, is it? No, it really isn't. And if you kind of look at why people don't invest in medical coverage. You know, so many folks don't have it. In our own survey, you know, 68% of people don't have pet insurance. Across the United States, 98% of pets are not insured. And there are so many reasons why. One of those is just that the plans are complex. It's a lot to understand um, from knowing how deductibles work and then knowing how co-insurance works. And then exclusions can be really confusing, especially for new pet owners, because you don't know when you're looking at that list of coverages and exclusions, well, what do I really need to be? thinking about. So some folks find that they've maybe had a bad experience with insurance because they go to the vet and they get hit with an exam fee or a bill for a diagnostic that they didn't realize wasn't part of their insurance coverage. So we really encourage people to do their research when they're looking at insurance to make sure you get the most comprehensive plan. Yeah, absolutely. It it, it is an important decision. It's, It's so important. Now, another part, an aspect of the insurance, which, you know, you don't always think of, I always think of the, the health benefits. But there's behavioral benefits as well, aren't there? There are. And about 40% of the pets out there have behavioral issues. And most companies, I should say, yeah, quite a few companies either don't cover those behavioral issues at all as part of treatment, but um, Pumpkin actually covers that as part of standard coverage. So no charge, you sign up, it's just a part of it. So if you have that 
that resource guarding dog, maybe they're, they're kind of protective of their food or their toys. Those are things where we can start to look at behavioral coverage as a real advantage for those pets. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I mean, I've been talking to people recently about separation anxiety, for example, and a lot of dogs suffer from that. And, and oh. they were likening it to sort of a panic attack for the dog, which is horrible. And there's, you know, when you look on, on social media, you see a lot of people saying, oh, there's this problem with the dog. What shall I do? What should I do? And so many of it, you think, you need to see a good behaviorist here. You need help with this. And yet people, because the problem isn't, you know, there's emotionally like it is for the dog, the panic attack. They don't always think, oh, I need to go and get help until it's a problem for them, do they? Right, right. And for the dog, my goodness, it's, it, it can be such a traumatic thing. And some dogs, oh my goodness, my stepmom had a dog who, I mean, she would hide in the shower or she would chew things up. Um, she actually had a second dog who would chew things up just out of panic and anxiety. And she wound up getting a behaviorist to work with both of those dogs to help them sort of adapt and deal with separation anxiety. It's it's a big issue. And I think yes. possibly with COVID, it could be something that we even see more of as, as people start to return to work. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, COVID has, has affected all our lives, but and in turn, it's affected all our, our dogs and our pets' lives, hasn't it? Oh my goodness. Yes, it really, really has in a yeah. whole, gosh, in a whole lot of ways. Yeah. I don't know about the UK, but in the US, pet adoption rates have absolutely soared. Yes. <laughs> so yes. Huge. I love that statistic though. It makes me really excited that so many people are willing to be pet owners and take in pets, especially during this kind of a time. Yes. Yeah, I think there's so much of a help. I mean, we have um, the dog we have at the moment. My, my, I, I don't have a dog of my own at the moment. My dog, my, my daughter <laughs> lives at home still. And um, her dog is a German Spitz client. So she's like a little Pomeranian. Oh, my goodness. I, yeah. And she, <laughs> I am so thankful that she's in the house with us because she's just she's made a smile every day and she just, you know, you, you have to get up and go out and take her into the garden and take her for the walk and, you know, think about her and, and play with her. And it just takes your mind off everything. And it's just, Oh, I'm so, so, so grateful for her. And they're just the best personalities to have around the house with you and have be part of your day-to-day life. My dogs tend to come to meetings with me on camera now. So it's, <laughs> it's very fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's lovely, actually, because you do get, do get to see other people's pets a lot more. And sort of it's, it's been great. You do and see how people interact with their pets and, yes. and how much those pets really integrate into their lives. It's such a cool thing and really different. Yeah. My, um, my husband works from home anyway. But the, and our, our little mischief, her name is, and she'll go and sit with him. And often she'll sit on his shoulder. the one time he he had to go to the loo so he nipped away to the loo and left left her sitting there and when he went back they said we've been calling to her and trying to get her up to the camera and she just looked at them and she wouldn't go (laughs) (laughs) she's just part of it it's all yes she's like yes (laughs) you're not here you you don't have treats (laughs) (laughs) they're so funny and so they're just wonderful they're so adorable yeah yeah now another important issue is dental health isn't it dental disease and it's it's not again it's not one that we always immediately think of with with our dogs but it is vital isn't it dental health it really really is and in fact a big percentage of pets by the age of three already have dental disease and when you're looking at these plans there are so many different exclusions that can go into these different plans and dental insurance is a big one or dental coverage is a big one yeah so say for example you know a lot of companies will refuse to cover preventive 
preventable illness, which dental can be, dental illnesses can be considered part of that. Heartworm disease is another one that can be considered part of that. But going back to that dental, you know, if owners miss a routine care appointment, or maybe they, you know, miss some kind of preventive medication, or even, you know, vaccines not related to dental, but a lot of plans out there will actually deny coverage when pet owners miss out on that routine coverage. And, for those dental visits, those kinds of expenses can add up. The onus falls right on the yeah. pet owner. Now for pumpkin, even though we do encourage pet owners to keep up with routine care, we're not going to punish you if you miss a visit or you miss a vaccine or you miss a medication. And we want to make sure that your pet has the best care. So let's say that, you know, maybe you've missed a routine vet visit and your dog has gingivitis. Pumpkin's going to cover the gingivitis for you when that dog is enrolled with pumpkin pet insurance because we want to make sure that the dog has the best possible care. Yeah, yeah. It's it's lovely to hear. And I do think insurance is important. All our animals are, are insured. So, <laughs> And again, it is something. It's like your house insurance. You insure the house. You hope you never have to claim on it, and you know you, the house doesn't get damaged or burned down. Touching wood now, but you know it's just like that with our animals, isn't it? You pay it. You hope you never need it. It really is, and you know I think that pet owners get so focused on the idea that it's always those big catastrophic things, those big surgeries, or maybe those big illnesses that happen. But the truth is, it's some of those super common things, those everyday things that insurance really provides the most benefit for pet owners. Um, for example, you know, the number one reason that dogs wind up going to the vet is for skin issues. So all day long, veterinarians are seeing those itchy dogs and treating that can be really expensive. If you're a pet owner, I have one of those guys and my guy, he's on a special diet for his skin. So that's about $122 a bag. And he's also on an allergy shot, which is about $89 per injection. So for him, when I look at the cost of those, of just those two products over the year, it's about what I spend in my insurance premiums, which is, it's a significant amount of money, right? But now I also not only have the coverage for those things, but I have the peace of mind knowing that if other things decide to pop up, so those big illnesses or maybe an emergency pops up, I now have reimbursement for those things. So there's so much more value, I think, to pet insurance than owners even realize because we take care of a lot of those day-to-day things that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is, they, you know, dogs get themselves into difficulty so easily, so quickly. And you don't even always have thought it through. And you think, oh, my goodness. They've, and they just run around and, you know, they have to live as a dog and have a good life. But you can't sort of wrap them up in cotton wool. But they do, you know, injure themselves in the course, don't they? And, and you say little things here and there. They do. And some of those little dogs, I mean, sometimes they're just frequent flyers at the vet where one week, maybe they've eaten a sock. The next week, maybe they've cut their paw hiking. And you want to make sure that those things are covered. And when you do your pet insurance research, looking at things like how deductibles are applied is one way to really find a lot of value in insurance. For example, pumpkin requires one deductible for the entire year. So no matter how many times your dog goes to the vet, you only pay the deductible once. Um, other plans out there can have, you know, for that frequent flyer dog, he hurts his paw, that's one deductible. The next week he eats something that makes him sick, that's another deductible. So expenses can add up with certain plans. So one thing that's really valuable when you're doing your pet insurance research is to really understand how those deductibles work because you can get a lot of value and save a ton of money that way. Yes. Yeah. And I, I've been there at the vet going, I have to pay how much, but he's insured. And they go, no, 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 that you have to pay this percentage. You go, oh my goodness. So it is well worth looking into it. I mean, it's, but as you say, it is, it is complicated. There's, mm-hmm. there's, it's a huge subject and there's so much to it. Um, we, we can't possibly cover it all. 
if there was, you know, what, you know, what's, what do you want people to take away from this about pumpkin and about insurance in general? So number one, I want folks to really know that, you know, take a look at exclusions. When you're researching those policies, make sure that you look at what's included and what's excluded. Because for a lot of pet owners, the things that we think seem really routine can wind up being pre-existing conditions. So let's say, for example, you've had a dog that's had an upset stomach at some point in his life. And I think we all have, and we probably yes. all that for that. And the thing is, the associated things that occur with that upset stomach, so diarrhea and vomiting, when a pet enrolls in a lot of insurance policies, those things can actually be considered pre-existing conditions for wow. that dog's entire life, in spite of the fact that they're unrelated to you know different occurrences, and they're completely curable. So you want to look for plans, and pumpkin is one of those that has what we call a curable conditions clause. So we look at those things like diarrhea and vomiting, UTIs, gingivitis. And we say, you know what, even if your pet has had these things in the past, when he enrolls with pumpkin, and if he's free of those conditions for 180 days, then we're going to cover it going forward for you. That way, if your puppy gets sick, or your dog gets sick, you've at least got coverage for those things that you think are every day. So we try to eliminate some of those surprises. Um, The other thing um, pre well, let's see, those are the pre-existing conditions, but also those preventable illnesses. So really look into, you know, what if I forget to give my dog's heartworm or tick medication and he winds up with heartworm disease or he winds up with Lyme or Ehrlichia, is my insurance company going to cover the treatment? So really dig into things like that because that is a coverage that Pumpkin does provide. So even when you're forgetful as a pet owner, we're not going to punish you or your pet. We want to make sure that the best care is out there. In addition to that insurance for those accidents or those illnesses, Pumpkin is also offering a really excellent comprehensive preventive plan, which fully reimburses for an annual exam fee. It reimburses two vaccines for dogs, four for puppies, and one for kitties. And also diagnostic tests like a fecal test to look for those intestinal parasites like worms, and a blood test for heartworm disease and some of those tick-borne illnesses. Yeah, yeah, lovely. It's, it's so nice to hear because it's so reassuring and it is, you know, it is important. Thank you. Where can people find out more about Pumpkin online? Sure, on our website at pumpkin.care. That's pumpkin.care. And the nice thing is you can read all about our policy, find everything that's included, everything that's excluded. And then you can also do side-by-side comparisons of Pumpkin and some of the other bigger insurance plans that are on the market and get a really good idea and a really good sense of what's going to be the best type of fit for you and your dog. Brilliant. Thank you very much. It's been very educational. Thank you. I hope this helps a lot of people and a lot of dogs. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. The £2,000 I mentioned for STARS TPLO surgery is US dollars A top tip Nicole gave me is to check out what hereditary and congenital conditions your dog's breed might predispose them to and check that your insurance doesn't exclude on breed. We'd love to hear your views, whether your insurer has gone the extra mile for your dog or you've had a bad experience. Hopefully, you won't need to claim on your pet insurance between now and our next show. But until then, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype, 
with the ident dog cast radio that's all one word dog cast radio by email you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com when contacting us by email if you have the facilities please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file that way we can include them directly in our program we can accept most formats for example wav mp3 all these methods of contacting us can be found on our website which is www.dogcastradio.com and as ever the final word goes to jenny what does a mother dog say to her hungry puppies Don't fill up on homework, you'll spoil your dinner.